Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Four of you said Merry Christmas back to me. I don't know what that means. Bah humbugs in the house. We're getting ready to talk about best Christmas ever, and y'all can't even say Merry Christmas. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What do you want? Happy holidays? Hey, by the way, the word holiday means holy day, so it's okay. It really is okay to say happy holidays, happy holy day. Uh, but it's also very good to say Merry Christmas. My name's Kyle, and we're so glad to see each and every one of you. Uh, we're glad that you're here today. I'm getting very excited about Christmas. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here, uh, you know that we were talking about some exciting things as we were talking about the good news. If you missed it, we don't want you to miss the good news. An angel showed up to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born and declared good news to all men. And those shepherds went and got to experience Jesus and the good news that he truly is. So I have some good news. Last week we talked about some ways that we as believers can share good news. And last week we talked about an opportunity that we had as a church that we are taking in that we are going to be planting a church in Peru. And we are literally through helping this church get planted and then talking about in the future other ways that we can bless children in that community through compassion, we're literally going to be able to change a community with the gospel. And I don't know about you, but that makes me think that we are potentially on the verge of experiencing the best Christmas ever together. And I'm just so excited about that, so thrilled about that. And uh, in fact, we're going to be able to take care of that church plant uh, financially because of your generosity this year. The money's already there, and we praise God for that. In fact, uh, I just want to keep celebrating your generosity this year. Uh, literally every dollar that you give from this point forward is above and beyond budget. We're going to be able to plant a church in Peru. We're going to be able to infuse some extra resources into Amplify. And also uh, beyond that, 70% of your giving from this point forward is going to go to our building fund and 30% is going to go into a church plant fund so we can continue to propagate the good news. And I don't know about you, but I think that's worth celebrating. I think that is fun. I think that is tremendous. And praise be to God for it. And thank you for your generosity. Well, I just love Christmas. Um, lots of reasons why I love Christmas, but the, the biggest reason why is because it's a time to focus on and celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, I know this may be a shocker to some of you, but we have no evidence that proves that Christmas happened on December the 25th. But I think it's really neat that somewhere along in history, we decided to pick a date to say we're going to celebrate on this day the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And no doubt during this season, you and I can very easily get distracted. And I'm not saying everything that's around Christmas that doesn't have to do with the birth of Jesus is bad or is a distraction. I mean, family family's good, but sometimes family can be a distraction, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things we could talk about. But as we think about Jesus and we focus on him and on him alone, it makes us ask the question, what's so special about the birth of this baby named Jesus? Can you think of a birthday throughout history that's a bigger deal than the birth of Jesus? I mean, kids get out of school Teachers are celebrating that right now, aren't you? Some of you are counting down the minutes. You're ready for the break. 
People get bonuses at work. Everyone gives gifts. Everyone receives gifts. I mean, there's just something to this birthday that causes everyone to react and to do something and to get involved. It really is a pivotal moment in history. In fact, if you've dated anything lately, you have been impacted by the birth of Jesus. We have these dates that go back to B.C. and to A.D. We're currently in the A.D. part of history. Does anybody in the room know what B.C. stands for when it comes to dates and histories? Say it if you know it. Go ahead. Before Christ. Very good. Does anybody know what A.D. means? I heard a couple different answers. One of them is a very common misnomer. I'm not saying ah, you're wrong, but the real meaning of A.D. is a couple of words we probably don't know the meaning of. There are a couple of foreign words, foreign language. Um, I may not pronounce them exactly correct, but the way I would pronounce them is Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord, in the year of our Lord. And so A.D. takes us back approximately to the time of the birth of Jesus. It's interesting to note before that started being used in history, A.D. and B.C. Previously to that, history and time would have been marked by the rulers of the world in those current times. So whoever was ruling, they would say, well, in this year of the reign of. And we can think back throughout history and we can think, man, that was a really cool ruler in the world. And we can think back to some other rulers in the world like, man, that was a terrible, terrible ruler. But good ruler, bad ruler, it didn't make any difference If you were ruling, the years kind of got counted by your rule and your reign. Isn't it kind of interesting to think that people, almost everyone around the world, maybe even they're an atheist, or they live far, far away from where Jesus was born, and yet every time they tell you what year it is, Jesus affects their life. The birth of Jesus, the most pivotal moment in history. Jesus, the author of time. It's the basis for how we measure time. Needless to say, Jesus is a big deal. If I were to ask you how many of you believe in Jesus, I would assume that most hands in the room would go up this morning. There may be a few of you that you're at that place where you're leaning in, you're thinking about Jesus, you don't know if you believe in him or not. But I would suggest that for for the most part, most everybody in the room would raise their hand. And whether you would raise your hand or not, that's okay. We're very, very glad that you're here. But if you would raise your hand and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I would say, do you know, do do you really know who he is? Because I would say, That if you believe in Jesus, and Jesus has not impacted your life, you don't really know who Jesus is. And my fear today is that a lot of people who claim Jesus say they believe in Jesus, and their life looks the same as everyone else's. They potentially don't know who Jesus is, because if you really know who he is, and you believe in him, he will change your life. So the question we really want to wrestle with this morning is not did he or didn't he when it comes to Jesus. We could talk about what he did, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but that's not really where I want us to wrestle this morning. I really want us to wrestle with is he or isn't he? 
Is he or isn't he? I mean, who is Jesus? Some questions that we are going to hopefully find some answers to. Some of them you may already know, and that's great. So celebrate these answers. If you already know them, then celebrate them. If not, we need to know these things. The first question that we're going to hopefully address and talk through today is this. Is the incarnation a big deal? And you may not even know what the word incarnation means, but as we continue to talk this out, it's the idea of God becoming a man. Is that idea and is that true and is it a big deal? Is it a big deal? Secondly, is the virgin birth true? And yes, those two words together just sound really strange, don't they? Virgin birth. Uh, even if you're a believer, I want that to strike you right now as odd because it's an odd phrase, virgin birth. But it goes back to who Jesus is. The third question, question did Jesus come into existence at his birth? Did Jesus come into existence at his birth? Number four, is Jesus God or man? Is Jesus God or man. Well, the lens at which we're going to look through all of these questions and the works and the acts and who Jesus is, is in the Word of God. So let's see what the Bible has to say. In Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse number 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. And if my tongue was working really good and we had enough time, I would read verses 1 through verse number 17. When you have time to go back, you can read verses 1 through verse 17. What you're getting there is a long list of names. And in these names, we are seeing the lineage of Jesus that show us who he came from and who he was. It's a very important list. In fact, um, I would say especially that if you have a baby on the way, you should go back and list because there's some really cool names there. A couple of my favorites that you might want to consider. Jehoshaphat. As in jumping and Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Really cool names. Names matter, don't they? They do. Verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But... Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, there's several things just, just really popping out of this verse. You see his name here being declared, who he is. The Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Appointed One. It goes on there in verse 18 to say that, she was still a virgin, and she became pregnant with a child. I think everyone in the room, regardless of your grasp or understanding or even faith or lack thereof, would all agree that that is a biological anomaly. Like that just can't, shouldn't happen. Wait a minute. She's a virgin. She's going to have a baby. That's not the way it works. It's very true. It goes on to tell us how that she became pregnant. It says through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God declares many different times that there is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing impossible for God. If God wants to cause 
um, a virgin woman to have a child, he can do it. As far as we know, he's only done it once, and we see it being declared here in verse 18. Now look at verse number 19. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. Now, think about this for just a moment. You're engaged to a woman. You're going to get married. She comes to you, and you find out that she's pregnant. How does that go for you? How does that work out for you? Well, it says that Joseph was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Instead of blowing up in anger like most of us would anytime something doesn't go our way or especially something of this magnitude happens, he decides to handle it discreetly. Verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Men, process that for just a moment. You're engaged to a woman. She's got a baby on the way. It's not yours. An angel, a messenger of God appears to you, speaks to you, and says, hey, go ahead and marry her. That's crazy enough. And then it goes on to say, and the child that she has conceived has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture is declaring as to how it happened with Joseph. Verse 22, excuse me, verse 21. And she will have a son, Mary will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And we literally could put an S on there, but in this particular place, it's about to quote one prophet, but many, 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 many prophets in the Old Testament, B.C., if you will, declared that Jesus was going to be born, declared many things about how he was going to be born a virgin. In fact, 300 different times, over 300 different times, prophets before Jesus ever came along declared how Jesus would come into this world. So it's just an astronomical um, um, uh, possibility, if you will, that Jesus would fulfill all of these many prophecies about his birth. And in verse 22, this is the prophet uh, that gives this declaration in verse 23. goes on to say, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they shall call him, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Another name for Jesus. We have Messiah. Here we have Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Not merely God behind us or God around us or as cool as it would be God for us, but God with us. Verse 24. When Jesus woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Let me just make a little side note here. If God tells you to do anything, if he instructs you, and, and if it's from his word, you can just take it to the bank that it's from God. If God tells you to do anything, it's probably not going to make much sense to you. 
Some of you right now in your life, God is telling you to do this or to do that or to do this, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Most of the time, when God tells you to do something, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like when you're a kid and your mom or dad tells you what to do. Can you think back for just a minute? If you're a parent, you're in the moment, right? They, they can't comprehend really why you're telling them or what you're telling them. You just know they need to do it. Listen, with God, he's going to tell you to do things that really don't make any sense. My responsibility, your responsibility, if we understand who he is and we say that we believe in him, is to obey him. Joseph did the, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the wild thing, and he obeyed God in this moment. Verse 23, 25, excuse me, verse 25. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Sue. Like, wait a minute, that's disrespectful. Why did you do that? Well, obviously he didn't name him Sue, but I say that because I want us to notice that names really mean something. Earlier in the passage that we read, God, through an angel, told Joseph to name this boy, not Sue, but Jesus. And here he does what God tells him to do in taking Mary on to be his wife, having this child, and then naming him Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the name that means he shall save his people from their sins, or the Lord saves. This is the name that was supposed to be placed on this baby boy. Now, here's what I hope. I hope that even if you're a believer... If you've been a Christ follower a long time and you expected us to read such a passage as this on a Sunday like this leading up into Christmas, I hope and I pray that we didn't miss what we just read. Because again, even if we're believers, we have to admit what we just read is very incredible, hard to believe, impossible to comprehend story. That's what we just read. If you're a believer, you will be smart when you're around your unbelieving friends to admit how far-fetched the story of God is because it's wild, it's bizarre. Tell me a fictional story out there that's more wild, bizarre, fanatical, crazy than the story of God in Scripture. It's unbelievable, almost. It's definitely something we can't fully comprehend. So it really matters who he is. Because if we're talking about somebody that's just not a part of a fictional story, but if we're talking about someone who is real and what is said about him is true, then it can change our lives. This is the gift that can change our lives. This is the best gift ever that can bring us the best Christmas ever. Look now to Colossians chapter 2. I want to read just a couple of uh, verses here that declare more about who Jesus, the one we just read about, born of a virgin, is Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 9. We'll read verse number 9. Colossians 2 and verse 9. Really two major things about Jesus are declared here. For in Christ, also Jesus... Okay, one and the same, the very Jesus that we were talking about being born of a virgin, that's who we're talking about here. For in Christ, or Jesus, lives all the fullness of God in a human body. 
in Christ, Jesus, this baby that was born of a virgin, lives all the fullness of God. In case you don't know what that's declaring, it's declaring that everything that is God is in Jesus. More clearly, God is Jesus. Jesus is God. We're seeing here that Jesus is, was, God. God. Look now to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Because God's children are human beings, that's us, we're God's children because we've believed in him. We're human uh, beings, obviously. Uh, we are his creation. We become his children when we believe in him. And those of us who are believers are human beings. It goes on to say, made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus Christ, also became flesh and blood. It declared this in Colossians as well, but we're seeing it here in Hebrews. We see that the Word of God is declaring, making it clear that Jesus is also man, that he is human. So we see God, Jesus being God, we see Jesus being human. It goes on to say in verse 14, For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So it's telling us who he was. He was God and he was man. It's also telling us why he was who he was. It's declaring that he was God so he could do what no one else could do, but he's also telling us that he is a human being so that he could accomplish what none of us could accomplish, but he had to be a human being to accomplish what he accomplished. He had to die for the sins of all mankind. And there he is in the human body, born of a virgin, and living and dying for our sins and for our transgressions. So Jesus was God and Jesus was man. His birth was a human birth. His birth was a divine birth. His life was a human life. His life was a divine life. His death was a human death. When we talk about Jesus dying, of course, that's what he did. It was a very real, painful death, just like you and I would experience if we went through the same things that he did. When they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet and beat him to a pulp and he hung on a cross, his death was very, very real. Blood flowed out of him. Suffering took place. Pain and eventually death. A few days later, Jesus, according to Scripture, came back from the dead and his resurrection, his coming back to life, was a divine Resurrection, but it also was a bodily resurrection, divine and bodily. So we see God, according to Scripture, as being fully God and fully man. And if you're wondering right now, is the guy talking, really comprehending everything that he's saying right now? My answer to you is no, I'm not fully comprehending everything I'm telling you right now. I mean, to declare anyone or anything... To be fully God and fully man, it's just, it's too, it's, it's too far beyond me. And yet this is what we see. 
being declared in Scripture. Fully God, fully man. We could call Jesus the God-man. So these questions that we posed earlier, I just want to give you my quick answers on them based on what I'm seeing, and I'm not trying to make short of this or little of this. I want to understand that if you're at a place of trying to figure this thing out and trying to believe that it is a very big deal, but is the coronation a big deal? My answer is, yep, it's a very big deal. The idea that God would become a man in the form of the son named Jesus, it's a very, very, very big deal. In fact, if Jesus is not who we're saying he is, God becoming a man, then everything we are as believers, our whole foundation is completely gone and eroded. It is not there. We have no hope. We have nothing to stand on. But if it is true, then, oh, the hope that we have in Jesus. Is the virgin birth true? Again, I really don't understand that one. But yes, God chose through the Holy Spirit to impregnate a woman. And there she is, a virgin, conceived with child, giving birth to a child, a man by her side named Joseph, who chose to obey God, stick with her, and then when that child is born, name him the name that the angel told him to name, Jesus, and to raise him. Number three, did Jesus come into existence at his birth? If you were really paying attention to everything that we read, you would understand that the answer to that is nope. Jesus didn't come into existence at his birth. Here's the the other mind-blowing thing about Jesus. Yes, Jesus showed up at Christmas. Yes, Jesus was born of a virgin as a human being. But that was not his beginning. In fact, Scripture declares in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the very one that created you and I. He created the world. The creator of the world, the creator of human beings decides to become one of us and live among us. And he did it because we blow it all the time. And so he needed that divinity to live perfectly. He needed that humanity to die so sacrificially so that we could experience redemption and new life and forgiveness. Is Jesus God or man? Yes. Yes. Fully God, fully man. And as academic as maybe this can be perceived, we've got to understand this is deep and this is real and this is fundamental and foundational as to who we are as believers or to anyone who wants to become a believer is grasping this to the point, no, not fully comprehending it, but fully believing it. Understanding that Jesus is who he said he was, and therefore what he did then really, really matters. If Jesus was who he said he was, the death on the cross makes every difference. The resurrection changes everything. I want you to get this. It's in your notes, um, and it's kind of the big idea for today, and that's this. Only God could come up with a gift like that. Himself, God in the flesh, a.k.a. also known as the Son, as a baby who would become the Savior of the world. I mean, if you're God, do you come up with that plan? 
I don't know about you, but there, there are some days that, man, if I, I mean, maybe not some days, maybe every day. If I were God, it just would not go well for you. Are you with me? Because I'm not God, and sometimes I think I have the right to snuff people out, if you will, or cut people off or shut people down. And here you are, a holy, righteous God. And you see billions of people over time not do what you ask them to do right in your face. And you're like, you know what, let's, let's do this thing called Christmas. Yeah, how about, how about you, Jesus, my son, father, son? How about you go be a man and live among them? And I've got confidence in you, son, that you can do it perfectly. And after you live perfectly, all those people down there that are mean and not nice and ugly and all that, they're going to put nails in your hands, they're going to put nails in your feet, and you're going to suffer and you're going to bleed and you're going to die. And then three days later, you're going to come back from the dead. And therefore, we are going to tell the whole world that if they believe in you, all their sins can be forgiven and everything can be made right. Do you come up with that plan? I don't come up with that plan. I'm thinking lightning. You know, I'm thinking volcanoes everywhere, right? Are you with me? Some people talk about why is God so angry and why is he bring judgment? Listen, you, you've got to understand the, the incredible grace of God to give any of us another moment of breath of life. And yet he chooses to go further and to give us Jesus. He says, here, here's your opportunity to be spared of everything that is Judgment. Because my judgment was cast upon Jesus, my son. You talk about the best gift ever. Jesus, God himself in the flesh. Again, I don't dare try to portray myself as someone that comprehends all of this or understands all of this. But I think 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, excuse me, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, just, just says it well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to go back to an older translation here, reading this from the King James, and I think it words it just really, really brilliantly. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So I'm just going to believe and know that many of you in this room are really, really sharp. You're sharp people. Some of you in this room, your friend invited you, you're here for the first time or third time, and you're hearing all this, and you're just like, I don't know about all this. Because you're sharp, you're intellectual, you're academic, you're wise. And yet the scripture here says that sometimes God chooses to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if you're confounded by the story of Jesus this morning, it's okay because what God has done is choose to blow our minds because he's not so concerned about our minds right now as much as he is about our souls. And once we give Jesus by faith our heart, our soul, our life, then he begins to work in our minds. This is, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And there are people today, maybe some of you, you're sitting there today and you think you got life figured out. Maybe you've even gone so far as to say you believe in Jesus. You've never, ever really, even though maybe you've been coming to church a long time maybe, you've never really considered who Jesus is. And you're like, I believe in him and I've got my way figured out. I've got life figured out. I've got family figured out. I've got finances figured out. I've got 
everything kind of just all put together for me right now, and it's going really, really well. And the idea of you saying, my way isn't the best way, but Jesus is the only way, right now just confounds you. And you feel pretty strong in where you are. Some of you have felt that way before, and your story goes like this. Man, I thought I had it all figured out. Man, family was going good, finance was going good, life was going good, health was going good, and then, uh uh-oh, something happened, and it all fell apart. And that moment is when I realized, you know what, I'm not as strong as I thought I was, and it took that for me to realize that I needed Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, I don't say that to say to you that if life's going well for you right now and you're not a true believer in Jesus, something's going to get yanked out from you and you're going to fall apart. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is this. You better understand how frail you are and how powerful and how mighty Jesus is. It's not just a story. We're talking about God becoming a man. We're talking about everything that he did for me and for you because of who he was. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18. This is the message of the cross. And of course, that's what Jesus did for us. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we, who are being saved, it is the very power. We know that it's the very power of God. Listen, if you have reached a place that you believe that Jesus is who the Word of God declares Him to be. And therefore, consequently, you believe that He did what He said that He did. And you have said, you know what? I've got all this sin and I want to give it to you because I believe you are who you are and you did what you did. And I want to make a trade. I I want to give you my sin. And in turn, I'm asking for you to give me my righteousness. And you have experienced salvation in that way. You have experienced, listen to me, the very power of God. That's the gift that we have in Jesus. That's the gift that we bear. That's the gift that we enjoy. And it's also the gift that we get to share. It's what changes everything. It's what makes it the best Christmas ever. It's who Jesus is. Um, I don't want to undermine your process if you're in a process right now of considering Jesus thinking about Jesus, learning about Jesus, um, questioning Jesus and the Scripture. But what I do know is you are never, ever going to reach a point where you fully understand, even after years of searching and research, you're just not going to reach a place where you can fully comprehend and understand the massive things that we talked about this morning. But what I do pray is that you come to a place, sooner or not later, continue to search, continue to research, but I pray that you come to a place sooner rather than later that you believe that Jesus is who the Scripture declares him to be, and therefore he did what the Scripture declared him to do because it is our only hope. Foolishness to everyone else, but the very power of God to those who believe. It all hinges on who Jesus is. Everything about who we are as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it all hinges on who Jesus 
is. It doesn't hinge on what time we gather during the week. It doesn't hinge on what song we sing. It doesn't hinge on so many things that are great and wonderful, and some of them are even important. Everything we are depends on who Jesus is. God never intended, nor can I find a place in Scripture where he asked us to figure the incarnation out. He only urges us to believe. If Jesus was God, God with us, that changes everything. And again, only God could come up with a gift like that himself. God in the flesh, the son as a baby who would become the savior of the world. There's one next step I want you to consider today, and that's to really consider who Jesus is. And for just a moment, I don't want to talk to the unbeliever. I want to talk to the believers in the room. Those of you that would quickly say, I believe in Jesus. Would you really, really, this Christmas season, consider who Jesus is? Get with family. Do the gifts. Do all the stuff you normally do. Great, wonderful, good. Don't want to discourage that. I want to encourage you, though, to really consider who Jesus is. Is Don't read Matthew chapter 1 the same way ever again. Don't read Luke chapter 2 the same way again. Read it. Let it come to life and come off the page to you, understanding who Jesus is. And then if you know him, you know the very power of God. And some of you right now in your life, you are desperate for the power of God. You're desperate for it. And you're asking God to send it, and he's put it in front of you. And some of you are not saying, I see it, I know it, I believe it, I'm going to experience it. Jesus is very real today. And he wants to you to be the very power of God. If you're not a believer yet, and you're invited today for the first time, or been here for a few times, and you're considering Jesus, listen, I want you to continue to consider who Jesus is. It's a beautiful journey to get on. I don't know where you are in that journey, but today can be that day. It can be that day where you choose to say, you know what, I don't really comprehend it all, but in my heart I'm getting it, and I want to give what I've got, which is ugly and sinful, and I want to give it to Jesus because I need what he has. I need his salvation, and I need his forgiveness. It's where the rest of us finally came to in our journey. We came to the place where, like, Jesus, you are who you say you are. I've done a bunch of stuff I don't even want to talk about, but here it is, God. It's ugly, and I want to receive what you've done for me. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for naming him Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. Jesus, thank you for who you are. You are God in the flesh, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, and I believe fully present this morning. I believe that you, in living your life here on this earth, you chose willingly to die for us. And then you so triumphantly and emphatically came back from the dead. You're the gift. You're the best gift ever. Thank you, Jesus. 
May we consider who you are this morning. May we come to a place of faith this morning, a place of worship this morning as to who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray.